Hi. Welcome, everybody. Yeah, welcome to Intertractional, an all-new podcast about intersectional feminism and Star Trek. I'm Ryan. I'm Becca. We wanted to tell you a little bit about who we are and why we're doing this and then introduce our first episode. I'm Ryan. I'm a uh, white woman in my 30s who's religiously Jewish and I went to Oberlin College where I studied creative writing and literary criticism. I took a gender studies class and sexuality in America. Um, I can also tell you about how I've seen every single episode of Star Trek that's been made, including the animated series. Yeah, so that's me. What about you? I'm Becca. I'm white passing, I guess. I'm ethnically Jewish Sephardic. Um, Sephardic being an ethnic group of Jews who are from like the Mediterranean area. My ancestors were kicked out of Spain during the Spanish Inquisition and then spent some time like wandering around the Mediterranean before my grandparents emigrated to the United States in the 19-teens. I love Star Trek because it is something that I grew up watching. I went to MIT. I am like a huge nerd whatever i studied biology it doesn't it's like serious serious geek cred yeah Um, science-minded lady actually while i was there i did take like a few um classes that relate to this kind of conversation i took a new like new media where we read things like blade runner and watched machinima (sighs) Yeah, so I studied, like, I studied how to have this kind of conversation about the, like, the media that I consume and that I love. I also recognize that I am not, like, necessarily the best person to be talking about intersectionality as intersectional feminism specifically is um, a term and a concept that was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw. Mm -hmm. Um, She is a black woman and educator around feminism, uh, feminist theory, and and the law. Um, And she coined this term in order to take a look at a series of discrimination cases where black women uh, were not able to prove that they were discriminated against um, because their workplaces were shown to not have discriminated against black people, black men, and they were not shown to have discriminated against women, white women. Mm-hmm. Um, but because these women were both black and female, um, they had this this intersecting identity that put them in a unique group, it was clear that they had been discriminated against as a class. Yeah. So sometimes we're going to be talking about intersecting identities um, that are not our own identities, and we can't pretend to know what those experiences are like. So we might get it wrong. That being said, like we do have our own intersecting identities and um, oppressions like as people who are both women and Jewish and... And queer. And queer. So that's who we are. So we we know what intersectionality is. um, But, like, why is it important? Why is it important to bring intersectional feminist criticism to Star Trek specifically? Well, so for me, it's important on a personal level to understand 
the narratives that I absorbed as I was forming who I am and how they influence the decisions that I make on a day-to-day basis and how they inform the things that I believe about what is possible for myself. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think that's true of of all media, of all like we're definitely programmed by the media that we watch and especially by the media that we repeatedly watch or that we love in in criticizing the things that it gets wrong or the negative messaging that's hidden in there among the positive messaging like we can see it more fully and and unpack its impact on us um, possibly prevent new media from being created that has the same issues so like when we look at Captain Kirk and realizing he's realize that he's saying something really sexist in this particular episode um for instance like where he thinks that a female historian might fall in love with Khan because she's a woman and she's weak and then she does Mm. um but then in another episode uh touts equality and like defends women's rights um and that's attention so you don't completely throw out all of star trek but like you recognize it when it is there so that you can see it and understand it people have asked me this right like is it fair for us to take maybe like 2019 standards of pc wokeness and apply it to media that's 30 years old 60 years old even 15 years old when we're looking at enterprise i mean i think it is for a for a number of reasons like Star Trek as a body of work is a living document. There's there's lots of stories that are being told in in it that are canon today now. Um, there's like a whole bunch of excitement around uh, forthcoming Star Trek properties, specifically Star Trek Picard. Um, Which causes a lot of rewatching for people to get more familiar with it especially TNG and the original series are syndicated and are on cable every week. That like communicates to us that these are stories that people are still entirely engaged with. While you can kind of sit there and intellectually think that they're throwbacks, like you're still absorbing those messages. And if you put something inside of a glass box and say that it is beyond critique you are opening yourself up for absorbing these narratives unconsciously Mm -hmm. and also like doing that is not in my mind a way to demonstrate your love for a thing putting your your most precious object on a shelf behind glass can look like love but using it is much more true in my opinion I think that this is of this time period and they didn't know better um, isn't really an excuse that rings true for me. Um, One, because Star Trek especially was trying to pursue progressive ideals um, and demonstrate them. Uh, Two, uh, the original series is contemporary with the feminine mystique. There There always were people who were... Of the opinion that women yeah, are the, people? Yeah, yes. So saying that something is of a certain time period and therefore is beyond criticism is ridiculous because there were all there were always people at the same time who were offering the same criticism. So we acknowledge that Star Trek is flawed. So why are we not just like throwing it all out? We were sort of talking about this when you're talking about like putting Star Trek in a curio. Um or on a pedestal uh but you know like the way to really interact with art that you love is to like 
see its flaws, understand its flaws, but like you don't have to get rid of it. It means that it's important for you to do the work to understand it and to help other people understand it. Um, that way you don't internalize the things that are problematic about it, but you can still appreciate the things that are good and like be entertained. So yeah, so here we are. We love Star Trek. We want to learn from it and grow from it. High in the Sky wishes to like influence how it tells stories going forward. We definitely want to hear what all of you have to say. Um, like if you disagree with us, if you hear something uh, that, that sparks an idea, if you have an, an episode idea, if you think we totally are off the mark, let us know on social media. Um, join the Facebook group and talk about it with us. This kind of discussion is for everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> what you're about to hear is the first episode that we ever recorded. We recorded it before we had like a good microphone. Um, so the sound quality is a little bit lower than what we uh, would like it to be. Please don't throw it out just because it's flawed. Yes. <laughs> we wanted to still give you this episode because the ideas that are contained in it are what we believe. We were worried that if we tried to re-record it, it would like kind of lack a freshness that this that the it's, conversation has. Yeah, it's it's really fun. I think you'll enjoy it. And if the sound quality is just like unbearable, then just like uh, skip, skip it and, skip to the and next go, episode. go listen to the next episode where um, we had a much better microphone (laughs) (laughs) which thank you to my brother for purchasing for us thank Thank you you, michael Michael. yeah so uh here it is this is intertractional an exploration of star trek through an intersectional feminist lens star trek is both a reflection of our society and an aspiration for our future The stories it tells shape our world. Intersectionality explores intersecting forms of oppression and how they affect individuals with compound identities. Star Trek is for feminists. Today we're talking about the Next Generation episode, Angel One, which was in season one, episode 13. It was released in 1988 and written by Patrick Barry. And we're also talking about the Lorelei Signal, which is an episode of the animated series. And I just want to make a really quick plug for watching the animated series if you are a Trekkie and you haven't. Um, each episode is like 22 minutes long. It's only two seasons. And it has all of the original voices from the original cast. And they can do like, okay, so... So this okay, is, you, you want to so I watched this. I okay. watched this with Ryan, and this is the first episode of the animated series that I've ever watched. And one of the great things is they get even more wild about what the aliens look like. Yes, yes, because they didn't because they didn't have a huge budget, but it's a cartoon, so they could do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of the scenes are just the Enterprise very slowly <laughs> going from one side of the screen <laughs> to the other, and then they're like really like long shots where there's voiceover but it's just like whatever the animation of the planet is uh it's pretty great it's pretty great yeah so i mean so if you're the kind of person who thinks that trek is like a very serious thing that should be taken very seriously and you you are like oh i wish the graphics were better or like oh 
Yeah, this may not be for you that, if you're that yeah. person. But if you if you like Trek for the reasons that I like Trek, which is um, not in spite of, but also because of its goofiness, mm -hmm. you should absolutely watch the animated series. Okay, so that being said, <laughs> um, this is the animated series season one, episode four, The Lorelei Signal. It was released in 1973. And it was written by Margaret Armin, um, a lady. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so briefly, in the Lorelei signal, the Enterprise receives a signal from some planet that they do not know what's going on there. Mm -hmm. And it is extremely compelling to yes. specifically the men on the Enterprise. Yes. All of, all of the men are super into the signal. And all of the women women are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, what, why is everybody asking crazy? Yeah. And, like, in fact, like, some of the, the men start, like, hallucinating. Um, like, Spock thinks that he hears a Vulcan marriage drum. Mm -hmm. Literally during this episode, I was like, Ryan, is uh, Kirk going to lash himself to the mast of the Enterprise? <laughs> it's 100% a siren, like, yes. Odysseus tale. Yes. And he, and he should have. It would he have been have. a much shorter episode. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it would have been better for him. Uh, but but instead, um, uh, an all-male away party of the most important characters in the show. Mm -hmm. um, Let's see. Kirk, Spock, M who McCoy. Does anyone else go? I think there. Were, I thought there were four dudes, but I'm... Um, uh, some random red shirt. Yeah, maybe. red shirt, yeah. <laughs> go down and... Um, are immediately like completely smitten with the situation and they're like we don't need to take any readings <laughs> like they're like do we need to take readings no we don't need readings of this planet they meet the inhabitants of the planet who all happen to be women and they are like for some reason they all look extremely similar they have white hair and yellow outfits and they're yes. like tall and willowy yeah like supermodels wearing togas mm -hmm. for some reason and all and the away team is like well this is legit we're here now <laughs> <laughs> are we having a good time yes um but then over time they start um aging rapidly for yes. some reason and they're like why do we feel so weak and yeah. our, our bodies are decaying and they like try to talk to the women about it and the women are like don't worry about it mm -hmm. and then meanwhile back on the enterprise um the rest of the men have started acting really weird to the point where they can't even do their jobs anymore mm -hmm. like they're not just they don't just want to go down to the planet they're like um, I think Scotty's like singing, like acting drunk and like no one can do their job. And then, um, so Uhura and nurse Ch chapel yeah. team up and apparently reference like other female people who yes. work on the enterprise. We yes. don't see any of them. Yeah. They're like, ask the female engineer. Let's send uh, an all female away team. The women security officers. Mm -hmm. Um, so there are other women on the Enterprise who we presumably have never seen in any of the episodes before, but they're yeah, there. They're there. And there are enough of them to run the ship <laughs> now that all the men are like somehow basically drunk and incapacitated by the Lorelei signal. Yeah. And so I think it's Spock realizes like on the planet what's going on. Mm -hmm. And 
because he's a, a Vulcan and always smarter than everyone. Somehow the way team, they escape and then they go hide out in some urn that's outside. Yes, a giant urn. Oh, to be clear, which I don't think we've mentioned yet, they are aging rapidly yes. and they are weak because their essences are being drained. Yes, they're very scientific. To, um, to be fed to the women who live on this planet. Yes. Because they are, um, they like die otherwise. Yeah, they're like being drained and it's like being channeled into the women. Yeah, it's very much the they're ladies really coming by. from our, coming for our man powers trope, which is yes. like. Which both of these, both of these episodes play into, yeah. like this is the future that um, men's rights activists think that feminists want is kind of what we're, we're seeing here. So then uh, I guess Uhura saves everyone, but the moment they get on the planet and they like meet up with Spock, um, Spock like tries to take over. Like Uhura had it down, like she knew what was going on. She like assembled her team and as soon as they get there, he like starts trying to give them orders. Do you remember what I'm talking about? No, I he don't He gives know. Nurse Chapel an order. Instruct female engineer to divert ship's energy into deflector shields. Block probe. We tried that. And I'm just like, that was one of my two favorite moments in the in the episode where she's like, we tried that already. Like she had already, they'd already thought of his idea. They're yeah. smart ladies. Yeah. When they get a chance to, you know, speak dialogue. Yeah, then what, then what then happened? happened? Somehow they're discovered, there's like a rainstorm, they're in this urn, they're gonna drown, and yes. they're, they're they ultimately them. rescued. Somehow Nurse Chapel and Uhura confront the women and they're like, tell us what the fuck is going on. You know, also like obscenity warning for our podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, Eve, they're explicit. They're like, tell us what's going on. And they're like, we crashed here years ago. All of the men from our ship died. And we got really strong, and we're also immortal, but we have to lure men here every 27 years or we'll die, mm -hmm. but also we're infertile. At the end, it's like Enterprise is going to take them off the planet, or oh, they're going to send people back for them? No, I think, yeah, no, you're right. Them. The Enterprise does take them off the planet, and they're like, hallelujah, now we can have babies now. Yeah. That's really like what women are ultimately desirous of. Yes, and so, okay, so this episode, I'm assuming that, like, animated series also have, like, writer's rooms, mm. you know? So, like, this episode was written by a woman, but, like, the last 30 seconds of the episode, it's like they had to add a moral in mm -hmm. to, like, undo everything that happened and make it okay. And they're like, oh, thank goodness, now we can age and get married and have children. And it's gonna be like a much, and her voice is like that too. She's like, it's gonna be a much brighter future than immortality indeed, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. As if having babies is unquestionably superior than living forever. Than living forever. It's probably better like than height. living forever and like basically committing I murder would, on a regular basis. I would have, 
ethical issues with being one of these ladies. Mm. I would want to be like Angel from Buffy the Vampire Slayer and be like, I'm one of the good vampires. Like, I'm one of the good succubi who doesn't mm-hmm. drain the men we lure here. Right. Somehow. <laughs> and even though I'm suffering. Yeah, yeah. no. The siren, like, I'm, I'm the siren who doesn't actually want Odysseus to drive himself uh, right. onto the rocks. But, like, everything else sounds pretty sweet. Like, they seem to have a lot of fruit. Um, they've got, like, some, like, spiffy outfits. Yeah, I mean, like, their whole plan is super psychedelic. Like, I'm sure plenty of lesbians would love to be (laughs) stranded on this planet. Like, nothing, nothing seems that bad there. Yeah, minus the occasional murder. So, yeah, so that's the Lorelei signal. And then we also watched, um, this one, Angel One. And that's the Next Generation episode. Mm-hmm. The Enterprise finds a, well, like off camera, they find a freighter that has been missing for seven years right. with some escape pods that are missing, and they go to the nearest planet to see if they can find any survivors. They're, they're like, Data, what do we know about this planet? And he's like, it's similar to 20th century Earth, mm-hmm. um, which I really have no idea why they said that, because it doesn't seem to be at all once they get there. And then... Yeah, maybe um, technologically that's where they are, but their technology yeah. seemed more advanced than that. And it's not clear that they're pre-warp because they know about the Federation already. Yeah. They're like, we know about Starfleet, and they were visited by a Federation ship um, like 60 years ago. Yeah. Their, their, so. rem- their location is remote, although it may become strategically important because it's near the neutral zone. That's like the overarching plot that's happening, right? Right. As war with the Romulans is, is precipitated. Yes. But- and this is pretty important because as we see in a second, um, there are some reasons why uh, Starfleet might not want to be super cool with this planet. Picard makes clear right away that, like, the higher-ups have told him we need to be chill with these people. Yeah, like, maintain diplomatic relations. So Data is like, okay, th- they are a matriarchal oligarchy. Mm-hmm. They are run by a group um, called the a Parliament. Oh, yeah. It's a Parliament, but mm-hmm. the Parliament is, like, these six women. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then their leader is called the elected one. And so they go down to meet with them, and... Uh, the elected one has just like the best hair. She does have amazing big 80s hair. She's like big 80s hair with like the the swept back bangs and like a perfect like bob Mm -hmm. and like is just, um, she looks great. Yeah, she does. I actually really like their costumes with the like, they're like big felted, big shoulder kind of tunics on the ladies. And then the, the men's costumes are actually a plot point in this episode and one of the primary reasons to watch this episode is that yes. you get to see a Riker nipple you get to see just a, one just one <laughs> just one nipple so they get like a big earring that takes up like your whole ear um one nipple and like uh, just a lot of chest showing mm-hmm. like, almost mm-hmm. like v-neck almost down to the belly button with like a asymmetrical pectoral muscles pectoral are muscles. on display um uh, crotch rope mm-hmm. to emphasize their man parts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they were perfume. Mm-hmm. And uh, toward the end of the episode, I took a note on um, Trent's outfit, and we'll get to Trent. Uh, holographic pastel tunic, like in like all of its 80s glory. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I would wear. 
Yes. Because the mine is the, like, exposed boob. I would wear the women's outfit, too. Yeah. Like, they look kind of like a, like a badass, like, I don't know, almost like something you'd wear to karate, but without the sleeves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a good description yeah. of it, yeah. Um, okay, so they get to the planet, and they have a conference with the elected one, mm-hmm. they being um, Riker, Troy, Tasha Yar, mm-hmm. and Data. Mm-hmm. And um, at this point, Troy is like the primary person delivering messages or speaking for the Enterprise because um, because it is a matriarchy. Right. Um, they have they understand that Riker, who is, you know, technically in command of this away team, will not be... Will not be the voice of the away team. Right, exactly. He's well, not going to be the primary negotiator. Yeah. Um, so we think at this point yeah, in the episode. Yeah, and so. And so they ask if the planet has received any of the... Of the, of the, the survivors of survivors. this particular freighter. And they're very cagey about it. They're like, well, we can't answer that. We do not feel comfortable answering that, which is like basically a way of saying, like, they're definitely here, yeah. but we're not going to tell you. Yeah. And it's unclear about why. Much later in the episode, it's revealed that they're, like, essentially revolutionaries. It, they showed up and were like, what the hell? Men can't vote? Mm-hmm. Like, the, like, the ladies are hot and all, but then we, we caught wise. So they're not into it. And they're like living, they're like living in the desert or like in a cave or something. Mm-hmm. And they, they've all taken like local wives mm-hmm. and, um, they're, uh, yeah, they're, I guess they're like running like consciousness raising meetings out of the cave. Spreading the word of gender equality. Uh-huh. The council women are like reticent to, to reveal that they're on the planet. They're worried at the outset that the Enterprise crew is going to help foment this revolution. Right. Um, um, but when it becomes, when Riker and the and the way team make a promise that they're going to remove these men from the planet, then they are allowed to go look for them. Yeah. Which I will say, so that this is something interesting about this episode, is that um, not for a second do they think about breaking the prime directive they're not like yes we should help these men they're like we got to get these men off the planet and if the men don't leave we have to figure out if they can stay on the planet but they're not like we should arm them we should help them we should convince them uh, that equality is good they don't really they don't do any of that Mm -hmm. um and i i feel like in other or there's not even any one person arguing to do that, which I feel like in other Star Trek episodes, uh, they go that route or some, or they want to go that route. Right. No one's like, we gotta help the men. Right. The parallel that I'm drawing is to the Ferengi, right? Mm-hmm. So the Ferengi are well known in the galaxy, but they are not able to join the Federation because they have not achieved gender equality. Um, but I think that this is a, this is a similar thought around the society where they want to eventually have the society um, become part of the Federation, but they can't actually do that the way that the society is organized. Aside from all the other things about the Ferengi, I wonder if Starfleet would have been more tolerant of the Ferengi if they were super close to the neutral zone. Mm. Interesting. There's like a whole subplot about a virus on the ship. It's the storytelling reason that the away team has to stay on the planet long enough to witness the execution of these 
men who crash landed and yeah. have become like yes. symbols of the revolution. Yeah. But okay, but backing but backing up. So just there's some stuff going on in the ship that we don't care about, and um, people get sick. They uh, use some technology to find the missing men. But in the meantime, what I'm like most importantly, um, Riker has to change his clothes into what all of the men wear on the planet mm -hmm. for a diplomatic meeting that he that he requested with Beata, who is the um, the leader of the world, so that they can have sex. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's he doesn't come right out and say that, but he's Riker, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And there's Riker like a loves pretty to lady. Have sex with aliens who, and with women. Yeah. I, Riker and definitely has a type. And this type and like is Mistress Beata is alive and straight in the middle of this. <laughs> Alive and female. Oh my gosh. This is where I come out and admit that Riker was the first crush I ever oh had in my life. And it explains like a lot of the reason that I am terrible at dating. Oh, oh, because oh, you like players. I do, motherfucker. It's terrible. Oh, so I, I am also very attracted to Will Riker. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's real. Um, my first crush was Han Solo. Nice. So, oh, also not not not, not much better in the like grand scheme no. of yeah, romantic partners. That men are unreliable and will have a lot of arguments with you. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, and the way that they demonstrate their affection is basically by insulting you and then uh, disappearing like, for a while. Lots of lots and lots of sarcasm and insults, which yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, my husband. <laughs> All right, all right. Okay, so Riker right. puts on the outfit, Riker the like local, outfit. what the men are wearing. Um, they have a lot of witty banter about um, men being sex objects who don't know how to do things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's it's a fascinating conversation because you can totally imagine this dialogue with the genders swapped in like basically any storytelling medium and it would not have even registered as problematic no but because the genders are swapped you're yeah. like oh this is creepy and gross yes yeah i think it would be called out as problematic in 2019 sure probably in 2019 um Definitely, like even maybe as far back as like 2010. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. but um, def definitely not in in 1988. Mm. It, like in fact, it like something Indiana Jones would have said to one of his his conquests. Like, yeah. oh, are you sure that you could handle this? Like, let me take care of that for you. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. You know, it's <laughs> like I didn't. I'm more attracted to you than any other man I've right, ever met. Right. Yeah. She does. She. She absolutely tells him that he's different than all the other boys. Mm -hmm. um, she says that that she likes a man who knows what she what he wants. What he wants. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and, the, oh, and I and think the best line yeah. he's like, "Will you respect me in the morning?" Yeah, no, and he's not even. He's like kind of winking at it, but then it's also serious because like leading up to that, he's like. 
I don't normally do this. Uh-huh. He doesn't say I don't normally do this, but he's like, this isn't part of my job in diplomatic relations. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't sent here as an offering. And then she's like, no, no, that's not why I want this. You know, like you're very attractive. And he's like, but you're very attractive. And then they say, uh, he's like, but will you respect me in the morning? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so then they, so then off camera they fool around. It's presumed that they have had they get sex. They interu- interrupted a few times. Um, but then, but so like then they're cuddling like whatever postcoital pillow talk, and the, Beata makes a comment about how the women, all of the women on the planet only want what's best for the men and like they get to enjoy all of the pleasures of life while the women are out. Oh, I wrote wrote this down. They said on our planet, the men are the fortunate ones. Yes. And the women do all the hard work to keep them in this like life of enjoyment and luxury. But fortunate ones is like definitely the phrase she used. Right. Which is like one of the like pieces of evidence that men, anti-feminists, have used to, like, justify their position that women should only be, like, in the home raising babies, Mm -hmm. is that when that is the role that women are given, that they are, quote-unquote, happier. Right. Which is, how do you measure happiness, first of all? It's bogus. And moreover, like, when you're window of opportunity is so narrow Mm -hmm. most people who are given that window accept it because to see outside of it would be to like make their lives intolerable right right because there's no option right Right. it's like oh no in order to have any other option other than living in my house with my babies all day long Mm-hmm. Um, I would have to stage a revolution. Yeah. And I can't. That's so the idea of, of knowing work. this would make me feel suicidal. Yeah. So instead, I'm going to make a martini and enjoy myself. I don't know. I, that's what I imagine it was It was like in, in the 50s. They just like made martinis and, and covered their eyes. It's hard to say like the things that we are currently living in culturally mm. that like looking back 15 or 20 years or whatever will say like, oh, that was weird and gross. Why did we buy into that? Um, but we- Unpaid internships. Yeah, no, that's a really good example. Yeah. Um, where like, it seems totally normal because it's what everybody's doing mm-hmm. and most people, male, female, intern or not, are not gonna question it um, except for like, except for the very few. And that's yeah. like the reason that these men who have crash landed are are so problematic for the ruling government. Because they've lived in a different society. Right. They know it's possible. And they also like won't shut up about it. Yeah. Okay, so where are we? Basically, the government like finds the men. Mm-hmm. And uh, the men, oh, the men refuse to go home. So what, what we've skipped over is uh, Troy and Tasha and Data talking to the men who live in a cave. Mm-hmm. They literally live in a cave. They're cavemen. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and being like, we're here to rescue you. And they're like, we don't want to go anywhere. We live here. This is our home. Mm-hmm. We all have children. We got married. Which I also, I'm like, why don't they want to leave? But I guess living well, on a crater that only has like warp one capability is probably boring. I mean, I think their reason for not wanting to leave is valid. They're like, we've been here 
I mean, maybe if the Enterprise had showed up six months in, they would have been like, yeah, we're getting the fuck out. Um, but because they've been there for seven years, right. they've put down roots and they have become intertwined with with members of the society. Yeah. And even though they're in hiding, yeah. they're still like actively living their lives. And but presumably they're invested in this conflict. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And... Uh, Probably. Oh, I think it's made clear that they're invested yeah. in the conflict. Yeah, that they want to see it out. That they don't want to abandon the conflict. Yeah. One of the one of the like twists of the episode is that uh, a m- member of the ruling council, Mr. Ariel, is um, married to like the leader of the men who crash landed, Ramsey. Ramsey, and so um, Ariel and Ramsey are set to be executed. Mm-hmm. She because she's been a traitor and mm-hmm. he because he's this like revolutionary figure and also they're they're all gonna get executed mm-hmm. they're just starting with the leaders right that's that's thing yeah. or they i don't know they didn't want to pay the extras another <laughs> another day <laughs> to be on the set that writer but, needs to come up with more names yeah, than they yeah, want to yeah, i not, mean ramsey and ariel was difficult enough and it's also very unclear like how many of these men there are mm-hmm. so yeah. Like, I'm like, are there 12? Are there 60? Like, I don't know. They find them through following Mistress Ariel, who I guess, like, ran off to, to warn to warn him that they were going to... That the execution was forthcoming. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and then that's actually how they find all of them, so that was dumb. Then Riker makes this... I mean, there's this whole other step, and they can't beam them away to rescue them, because uh, everyone on the ship is sick. And then uh, Riker makes this, like, impassioned speech. Um, okay, like... You want to kill revolutionaries? Fine, that's a good way to deal with them. I'll give. I don't know. He he's kind of like fine. Like we won't interfere with the like execution of your laws. Execution right. having double meaning in this sense. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Because of the prime directive. But his his speech is basically don't make of these people martyrs mm-hmm. because you will accelerate what the term that he uses, the evolution of your society mm-hmm. towards egalitarianism. And he also makes a case that you cannot stop the evolution of your society. Like, this is gonna happen. Right. Um, and, uh, and then, and so after conferring with the council, Beata declares that the executions have been stayed and that she uses this phrase that we hope to um, take the rate of evolution down to a crawl and they do that by like banishing all of them to this area like pretty far away where they're basically gonna have to live like homesteaders yeah um and life is gonna be hard life is gonna be hard they're not gonna have time to lead the revolution which is also can i say bullshit because Mm. if they're gonna if they're out in the middle of nowhere working hard like the men are gonna be doing just as much work as the women yeah that's like yeah, I mean, social revolution happened faster mm, in areas where women were already doing a lot of work. Hmm. I'm I'm gonna disagree with you. Not that I necessarily think you're wrong, but like historically, women have done a shitload of work that is not compensated or not right. valued in the same way that men's work is valued, right? Or not written down and not remembered, right? Because because it like you know fits within the role of their gender right and so i don't think 
I mean, who knows what the Angel One society is like and if the men who live there are actually doing a lot of labor that just goes unnoticed. That's almost certainly true. Unless they're organized like significantly different than our current society. But I do think that the that because they are uh, this particular group of people who've been exiled to a mm -hmm. place where it's hard to live, because they're going there with the notion that men and women are equal and mm -hmm. can participate equally in society, that it's likely that that's what will play out mm -hmm. over time as they as they organize themselves there. And so the seeds of revolution or evolution are planted. Now, I just wanted to make like one final note about that that last scene mm. down on the planet mm -hmm. is that because I was watching it and I was like, what is Beata, the um, the elected one? Like, what is she going to do? Because like Riker's making this point and like you can see her agreeing with him, but also he's a man, mm -hmm. but also he has sway over her because because she's, she likes him. Yeah, but but also he's a man, so she's got to save face in front of the group, mm -hmm. right? And so she's just like looking at him and she's looking at him and they're like about to to kill Ramsey, the leader of the 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 revolutionary leader, revolutionary the guy leader. who crash landed. Wow. And uh his his wife, Mistress Ariel, cries out and is just like Beata, like says her name and then she pauses and she's like we will confer. Mm. But, like, she waited until, like, a woman said something. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking that gave her cover. Yeah, that's interesting. I um, haven't picked up on that. Yeah, I think you're totally right. Yeah, I don't know if that was for us, right? Because mm. it's, like, will, like, do we see that? But, like, within, I think, the room of their society, like, they would have noticed. They'd be like, oh, she listens to the alien man. And, yeah. Like, might lose some credibility. Yeah, it's consistent. Yeah. yeah. So here we have two episodes where... They're planets of matriarchies with or without a male component. Yes. But the in the Lorelei signal, men are very explicitly consumed for their essence. For their essence in like a fun magic sci-fi way. Right. Um, and in Angel One, men have the subservient role mm -hmm. where they are being where their energy is being used to support right the the women in the society yeah so and it's like a direct parallel of like women on earth in the 20th century mm -hmm. in like in like every way like they're the decorated beautiful ones like, um, they are more diminutive. Like, all of the male actors they hired to be the aliens were short. Like, they don't have rights. Like, they don't have jobs. They're considered less smart. Mm -hmm. um, all, all of that. It's, it's all of it together. But, they're, yeah, they're the supportive, they're the, they're the supportive sex. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, one of the reasons why we wanted to start our podcast with these two episodes is because, um, like, so first of all, both of these episodes are, like, very, very fun to watch if you like thinking about this stuff. Yeah. And um, second of all, they're both um, offering an interesting critique uh, of society or... Uh, of sexism. Uh, of sexism. Yeah. While also kind of being sexist. Oh, for sure. So, like... <laughs> So it's like, I remember when I was like, do you want to watch 
like my favorite episode of the animated series, I can never decide whether it's really feminist or really sexist. Mm-hmm. And then afterward, you're like, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that the... Like, the problem is that in, in the Lorelei signal, the, like, Uhura saves the day. We get to know that there are, like, a lot of women who right. work on the Enterprise, even though we don't see them ever. Right, um, yeah. But there's, but it's kind of implied in that episode that they're an, like, an equal number to the men who are mm-hmm. serving on the Enterprise. So we have this notion of egalitarianism mm-hmm. in word, but right. not so much in deed. Yeah, that's never demonstrated um, in the original series or in the animated series outside of this episode. But we do get to see Uhura and the women of the Enterprise rise to the occasion. Um, they are able to run the ship on their own. Um, and and rescue the the captain and the first officer and the chief medical officer. Mm-hmm. It's also a good reminder that Uhura is third in line to run the Enterprise, which yeah. almost never happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, but she's my, badass. She's badass, and yeah. that's my other. Um, I think there's like a GIF of it on the internet. I recommend you look it up. But mm. like, she like Nurse Chapel's like, what are you doing? And she goes, I'm taking over the Enterprise. And I'm like, yes, get it. <laughs> Um, and that that whole plot line is like a good um, foil to the main plot line mm. of like the evil succubi women, yeah, who are like so that's like this is like the actual feminism in the episode is mm-hmm. like the enterprise women, and then the specter like demon feminism, like what <laughs> what many yeah. activists think that feminism is, what's happening down on the planet with the. Uh, weird blonde Lorelei women. Yeah, total total female domination, subjugation of of males, with a layer of the. I just I just can't get over this like the male essence stealing. It's such a like it's a, it's a, such an anti-sex perspective. Yeah. That when a woman is having sex with a man, that she is like consuming his essence. This is like a notion that anti-sex people have. Oh, that what that like I shouldn't have sex that way women don't consume me. Yeah, basically. Oh, so they're the Lorelai women are being anti-sex, but they're an example. Yeah. Like, for the anti-sex people of, of this particular okay. perspective. Yeah. Yeah. You're like depleting your virility mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it is all at once feminist and anti-feminist in this episode and then like same for the tng episode Mm -hmm. the women who are in charge of this planet are presented as powerful and capable of governing Mm -hmm. and everything else but they're still like they're referred to as mistress they're referred to as mistress (laughs) yeah so so in this episode this episode is feminist in a different way. Like the feminism in this episode is not about how powerful these women are, um, but it's about how shitty these women are. Data wants to look at the library and she's like, oh, our library is too complicated for a man. And, <laughs> and then instead of being like, well, that's bogus. They're like, oh, well, Data's an android. So he's uh, superior to any man. Right, <laughs> which, is, which is true. 
but he's also superior to Eddie Whoop, right? Like he's it's not like outside of the gender. Yeah. Outside of gender. Yeah. He he's like, well, I may be anatomically male, which is a great reminder that Data has a penis. <laughs> the Data has a penis. Thank, thank you, Data. Um, Whereas, yeah. like, in, also in the episode, he's like, why perfume? What is an aphrodisiac? Oh and it's gosh. like, wait, aren't you fully functional? <laughs> Don't you yes. know this already? Yes. Oh, there was a lot of shirtlessness in this episode. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Uh, in the in the B-plot where everybody on the Enterprise gets sick, uh, we get a sick Captain Picard in his bed being uh, tended to by Dr. Crusher, and he yes. is definitely shirtless. Definitely shirtless. Yeah. Hey, hey, so Patrick Stewart's nipples. That's the other place where the feminism is in this episode, It's just like the objectification of the men, even outside of the conceit of, of the episode. Yeah. Well, it's also like Crusher ends up taking command, Yes. which is unusual, and she's the one who makes the call that the enterprise is under quarantine right. like i don't think she ever uses the words quarantine but yes. she's like you cannot return nobody can come onto the enterprise who isn't already here because we have a disease outbreak yes and which like nor i get all of these things would normally be under her purview because she is the the ship's doctor mm -hmm. but also she's the only one who can still make decisions because somehow she hasn't gotten the disease. Sick. Everybody else gets like, sick. Everyone gets sick. I mean, the only people we see getting... No, we see every, everyone gets sick. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's some kind of, like, weird aside about Klingon sneezes yeah. being extra big. And that's a whole thing of, like, how there's, like... Oh, yeah, like the, the masculinity and, and virility of, of Worf and, and Klingons and, like, mm -hmm. how everything they do is, like, bigger and crazier and worse oh I, I wrote down one of the amazing lines that they say um in service of pointing out sexism you'll accomplish nothing with that attitude oh yeah so Beata, <laughs> Beata de delivers that line to Riker yes at a certain point and it's just like every subordinate woman to some like mentor or supervisor figure will probably hear that at some point mm -hmm. in time mm -hmm. where it's just absolutely tone policing. Mm -hmm. Like you're, the words that you have to say may be valid, mm -hmm. but how you deliver them is somehow important if your right. gender is thought of as mattering. Right, right. Or if you, yeah, if you want to go far and you want to achieve, a, you just have to be like endlessly optimistic. You can't uh, get angry or call things into question. Mm -hmm. Like that's the, the wrong attitude to have. Yeah. Um, or to like question your own subservient role or to question like a decision made by somebody of the dominant gender. Mm. Um, like any of these any of these things it's a it's, yeah it's a really good example of this tone policing mm -hmm. something that i think that we haven't talked about a lot is trent trent is like uh beata's assistant i think is the word i use but then you said manservant yeah i call him her manservant i mean basically he's like he's like he a secretary around yeah. and he brings her things i've watched this episode multiple times and i'm pretty sure that he is like wounded when he observes Piata with Riker. Yes. But I mean, do you watch, do you watch Veep? 
I and you have never watched, watched Veep. Veep? Yeah. Okay, so um, I'm gonna make this analogy anyway. Yeah, yeah, do it. But like Julia Louise Dreyfus as uh, the vice president, or like later the president, her assistant is um, Tony Hale, the guy who plays Buster in Arrested Development, mm. and he follows her around like with her bag and all of her stuff all the time. He is like her assistant, but also he's completely in love with her and is visually and like obviously jealous anytime she takes a lover. Mm, mm. So, so it may not, this it might, may it just, just be one-sided. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, yeah I okay. mean, he could also be her sex slave. Like we don't know how exactly. That's my assumption. Exactly how backward this society is. But, like, I don't want to assume that he's a sex slave just based on how he dresses. Yeah. Because, like, women are expected to be super pretty at work all the time, regardless mm. of what their role is. Yeah. So, just because he's super cute with his, like, shiny outfit and his crotch rope doesn't mean that they're having that he's a sex slave. I guess that's true. Or, like, I'm, maybe sex slave is, like, a strong <laughs> term for what he is or what I assume that he is, but I had I had always assumed that they were lovers mm. and that he was like experiencing jealousy about mm-hmm. her having a relationship with Riker but I think your read is is also totally valid that he's he's legitimately her assistant and that the facial expression that I read into as jealousy is like just something else or whatever or it could be both it could be both right like I mean, he could be hot for her, and then she's like, whatever, not all about it at all, until, and then, like, Riker comes comes around, and she's like, oh, what I needed all along was a manly man. Right? Which is also upsetting. Right, which is upset, yeah, yeah, which is upsetting from our world, like, intruding in on the on the show's world. Uh-huh. Like, the, the, here's, like, another example of, like, our sexism, which, like, the show is, like, positing, like, at least that they're beyond in the 24th century, but, like, also kind of that they're beyond in 1988. When, like, I know that Riker is in charge of the away mission, but, like, as, as, whenever they're behind closed doors, he's just, like, ordering everyone around. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, he's it's, still it's very in stark. command of, yeah. the, of the away team. Yeah. Yeah. Which I know, which I know is his job, but like after leaving the room where Troy was doing all the talking and they're behind closed doors and he's like, no, this is what I think. This is what we're doing. Here's what you're going to do. And I'm just like, oh, <laughs> well, I want I want him to have like a, a, a more listeny, like a more collaborative leadership style, like Captain Pike, Captain Daddy, Captain Daddy. <laughs> We'll, get to, we'll, get we'll definitely Daddy. discuss Captain Daddy and STD. Air quotes, disco. Disco, disco. <laughs> that we will discuss in, in later episodes of this podcast. So would you recommend these episodes? Mm. Do you think that they're successful in what they're trying to do? First off, yes, I would recommend watching these episodes because they're highly entertaining. I think that especially the Angel One episode is a very effective tool for identifying the ways in which sexism is creepy and gross. Like, what is sexual harassment, for example? Did it surprise you to learn that, like, both Patrick Stewart and Gates McFadden, um, who plays Dr. Crusher, thought that the episode itself was sexist? So, so okay, yeah, I'll tell you. I, I don't so, know. What I'm thinking is, I don't know, like, A, is this just a case of actors being dumb? Or B, the episode being so effective in showcasing sexism that it offended them? I can see from their perspective that that it could be seen as sexist because of how the women are portrayed, 
we don't want to put women into this typically male role and say and, that that's how men are and or, or or like say that like this is what women would do maybe they have a problem right. with with that as like the the conclusion of what right. women would do when given power i, I do though i do i think that this is what women would do when given power personally hmm. um because i think you can disagree with me here but i think that power itself is corrupting yeah and I think that people who have power um, as a group go out of their way to maintain it. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, all of those sort of benevolent sexists um, or, I don't know, like the guy who invented Wonder Woman, like the people who are like, oh, if only women were in charge with their gentleness and mm -hmm. their peacefulness, like society would be better and there would be less war. And uh, every like we just need to give the women a chance to run things because men make a mess of it. I'm like, no. No, women would act like these these chicks, and um, they would make the men wear earrings and low cut tops, a hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, like outfit, your mileage may vary, but like conceptually, yes. I'm not sure that I agree with that or not. I'm like, you know, my feminism is the feminism feminism that says that men and women deserve to be treated equally and have equal access to opportunity, mm -hmm. and that it should not matter what your gender is because it, that does not confer any strength or weakness outside of what like your other talents might be right but i do i do absolutely agree that power is corrupting power itself is corrupting mm -hmm. and that when people are in power they will do what they can to remain in power mm -hmm. including squashing revolutions yeah and then the social structures are self-perpetuating because you like you arrive at a culture and you're like this is how things are and especially if you're in a dominant position in that culture it serves you to at the very least not work against it Mm -hmm. And it certainly serves you to work within it and and bolster that particular power arrangement because it's to your own advantage, mm -hmm. which is, you know, one of the reasons that it is pretty difficult to get many men on board feminism. I mean, I tend to think even the men who are on board are not completely on board. Or there's issues that women today are facing that even men who identify as feminists have difficulty even recognizing because they're not living from this perspective mm -hmm. and they're not um able to experience they're they just like move through the world differently right so that actually that's one of the reasons that i think that this episode is so effective yes is because it highlights and like flips the script in a in a really like transparent way yeah yeah I mean, we should probably start wrapping this up. We've been yeah. talking for like an hour. Yeah, yeah, I think we're good. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this. And uh, we'll be coming at you soon with another episode. Intertractional is a production of Federation and Fempire, written and produced by Ryan Ascalisi and Becca Matola barnes 
Original music by Danny Kavka. Production advice by Danny Kavka. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Intertractional. We want to hear from you. Join our Facebook group to discuss this episode with us and with other fans. Email us at intertractional at gmail.com. You can even send us a voice memo. Visit our website at intertractional.com for show notes, images, and citations. Intertractional is available on all podcast platforms, including iTunes. If you like this podcast, help others find it by taking a moment to rate and review us and subscribe on iTunes. It really makes a big difference. Bye. Bye. Live long and prosper. (laughs)